You're listening to Someone Like Me, the official podcast of Ancora, Tennessee, formerly known as End Slavery, Tennessee. I'm Leslie, and I get to host this show and facilitate conversations about the work Ancora, Tennessee is doing. Earlier in the season, we spoke to Vanessa, a survivor and graduate of Ancora, Tennessee's program. If you listened, you'll remember that finding consistent, safe, and upwardly mobile work was very difficult for her. This is not unique to Vanessa. Many of our survivors struggle to find workplaces and employers that will not only hire them despite their background, but will give them responsibility and serious potential for growth within the organization. We help our survivors find this kind of work by partnering with other organizations whose mission it is to support employers with the understanding of how to manage unique stressors associated with survivors. And at the same time, the organizations strategize with employers on how to create pathways to sustainable careers for those recovering from severe trauma. One such organization is Viable, and it's founded by today's guest, Ben Turner. Let's listen to how Viable's partnership with Ancora, Tennessee is helping survivors in long-lasting ways that will support their healing journey for a lifetime. So this season, we're putting a really sharp focus on employment uh, within the trafficking survivor community. And this is the third of three episodes, right, Stacey, talking about this issue. And it's incredibly important for many, many reasons. And our survivor interview this season actually touches on this. So for this episode, we have Ben Turner of Viable Incorporated here with us to talk about employment. Now, what you all do, you don't work specifically with trafficking survivors. You work with people from abusive situations all over the board, right? Correct. So tell us how you all began, and then we can talk about kind of how we fit into this. We began in northern Uganda, working with critically vulnerable populations there and had attempted to do skill building, capacity building, training. And we continued to encounter issues with that converting, to use a business term. Converting meaning? Converting to livelihood and authentic opportunity for people in need. So here they had invested their time and energy to learn and... We had invested our resources, time and energy as well, and we continued to bump into the missing markets. And when we were searching out to see what those markets were, we were finding a disconnect between the training that was being provided, be it us or others, and the types of opportunities that could be, might be developed with these companies. Gotcha. Can you give us an example of what that looks like? So let's say you're running an organization, a ministry in northern Uganda, and you are serving youth or ladies who were direct victims and survivors or just indirectly affected by a lot of the atrocities that took place in that region. With the best of intentions, the leadership of the organization that's attempting to serve you starts a vocational training program. Makes sense, right? Makes a lot of sense. When you consider the marketplace and the relevance of that training, to the actual opportunities, it's a big jump. Companies using CNC machining are looking for folks who have some understanding of that technology. Training a young person to plane a board with a hand planer 
is a stretch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I think it's important that when you hear me, I, I'm going to say some things today. If you don't know me and know my heart, you wouldn't know the spirit with which it's intended. So one of the things I've learned is to be critical of the situation, not of the work of others. Mm. So I'm highlighting the brokenness about a situation. I'm not trying to criticize the work or calling of others. And in my belief, a cup of cold water, do it if that's what you're called to. But I can't not address the problem and say those skills would never convert. There might be some soft skills. There might be some things that transfer to that employer, but that is not something they're searching out for. It reminds me of so much of what we do. We don't do it perfectly. We stumble along learning as we go. But the thing is, we're in the long game. And in the short game, you see only a, a little piece. But when, you, when you're in it for the long haul, serving people who have been disenfranchised, you learn that there's so many factors that you have to address um, to build stability and sustainability into the equation. And I think that's kind of what you do. But we learn as we grow, as we That's right. I've, do it. I've learned it. You know, another example would be woven baskets from that region or the paper mache jewelry that's made. There's a lot of folks doing that on the supply side, but oftentimes the only opportunity for those, for the ladies who make these items comes when the well-intentioned ministry leader is packing it up into suitcases and flying back to the States and selling it at a booth outside of a presentation, mm-hmm. which again, God bless their efforts. Wonderful thing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful learning experience for those ladies. And they, they see an immense amount of hope and encouragement and they're learning a ton of things. So again, this is not a spirit of criticizing that. It, it's a desire to honor. Mm-hmm. The work that's been done through these ministries to honor the journey and the progress of those survivors, but to press the envelope, to press the conversation to say, what's next? Yeah. For a long-term career and and growth, and like Stacy, like you said, a long game. So what does your work look like at the moment? And what are what are you all doing on a daily basis with the people you're serving? Okay. So it takes place in northern Uganda in Nashville, Tennessee. And as we see it, it's the same. And so I think sometimes telling the story of what's going on in northern Uganda can help people, even though it's one step removed, can help people better understand what we're doing in Nashville. So you have people in that region who know how to farm and cultivate soybeans. And their only market at the present time when we meet them are exploitative middlemen. I see. Right. Now I'm starting to get a feeling of where you're going with this. Okay. What these individuals want is a fair and honest price. They do not have the the volume. They do not have the sometimes the cultural or ethnic credentials Mm -hmm. to approach those who represent greater opportunity. And oftentimes they live a great distance. With our background... We can approach those multinational companies, those regional companies who, to have a business conversation to understand what are your needs. And then they disclose to you that they are currently procuring 60% of the supply that they would like to be procuring. So you start from a needs basis, not even a, what openings are there that we can 
train people for. You're starting from a, what are your problems and how can we resolve them? That's exactly right. So it's all anchored in the, in the marketplace. It's a, it's market-based. It's, it's, it's needs-based, market-driven, I would say. So you don't work. It's not like you're just job placement. You are working with employers to kind of rebuild opportunities for these people who are disenfranchised and who need opportunity and who Could are you great say that assets. Again? Hold on, let me write that down. <laughs> it's she on does tape. Say it well, she got it on She's tape. gifted with words. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> so there's a really natural, beautiful connection here with what you're doing and with the people we're serving here at this organization. Mm-hmm. When did you first come to learn of this organization? and trafficking in general? 2017 would have been July uh, through a Rotary International presentation, local club. A friend of mine, Steve Grissom, knew that my attendance had been lacking due to travel and busy schedule (laughs) and uh, young children at home (laughs) and a variety of other excuses. And he said, "I'm, I'm starting my year as president of the club and I'm making it a point for the first presentation to club members to be on the subject of anti-trafficking. I'd like you to come. So I attended that day. I heard the presentation. And at the end of the presentation, there were questions. But then there was this volunteer uh, who was free to be a little more cavalier in her remarks. So she she stands and she says, you know, you, you can help. We covet your prayers, uh, your financial support, volunteering. There may be opportunities for you to do that. And then she raised a, a bill in the air and said, this issue is a lot about money. It's very complicated, but certainly in that mix is money. And you all in this room represent job opportunities, income opportunities for these ladies that we're serving. So when I heard that, knowing the type of work I had been doing, I knew there was, there was something that compelled me to just go and introduce myself mm-hmm. and begin a conversation. Who was so. that volunteer that raised that <laughs> bill in the air? Could that have been our own Stacey Elliott? Well, it's here, so Mike number funny. Three. Yeah. We were sitting here before we started recording the podcast, <laughs> and I thought I had just met Ben for the very first time, and we got to telling the story, and I said, wait, when was that? Because <laughs> I had just met Steve as well, who, by the way, is now overseeing the construction of all of our Survivor Restoration Campus. Mm -hmm. He was semi-retired and, uh, well, it's funny how things work out, isn't it? (laughs) So he's here. But uh, yeah, so I was that volunteer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So great. Which I think is hilarious. And So Ben, I guess I had met you before, but now now we're in it together. And now that we've met and just a brief few minutes here, I can see the uh, spunk, the boldness (laughs) that would have been behind the lectern that day to say— Yep. All this is great, but let me just really tell you. Oh, that's a Stacy. I could I could picture Stacy with a bill in the air saying this is what it's about. Really? I mean, you saw an opportunity to look at business leaders and say, here is where you have impact. You can come volunteer. Please pray for these people affected. But what you have, your special perspective on this and your resources, this is what we need for long term growth, rehabilitation, healing, thriving. Last season, we talked to Branded Collective, and we talked about the importance of creating these jobs that not only teach 
skills, you know, like you're talking, the literal putting together of jewelry, but the soft skills of showing up on time, if you are sick, how to call out, you know, all of these sorts of things that people just, they haven't had these sorts of opportunities to practice them. And I think the word that in your mission statement, I wrote it down here, viable connects survivors of abuse to meaningful employment. It's so important that the employment is meaningful, long-term, long game. This isn't just, we'd like to get someone for the rest of their lives to do this small sort of a thing. We're looking for growth. So can you talk more about how you work with businesses to make those meaningful opportunities happen for people who have experienced abuse? Yeah, I've I've heard it differentiated this way that um, oftentimes people are looking for a right now job and then they're ready for a long game job, you know, a career. So I think as you're interacting in the marketplace and you talk to business leaders, decision makers, I think the one thing that would be helpful for your audience to understand and they likely know in their own experience is that there are many highly qualified, compassionate people in the private sector, day in and day out, doing their jobs. They have business responsibilities, but they have a heart to see people grow and develop. And so I I think I'll answer your question this way. I know I'm sitting across from the right type of business professional when they are speaking to me in terms of, I'll say something to them along the lines of, Viable's working to ensure that remarkable survivors, that's one of our favorite words, is remarkable, that they do not get lost in the transition from services and programs into whatever work it is that they pursue. I know I'm sitting across from the right individual when they say to me, and yes, we don't want people to get lost in transition into the workplace. They then may say something along the lines of, We would see this as uh, unfolding in stages. We want to see people come in and build confidence. We want to see people build a strong foundation. Then we can begin to talk about specific areas of interest, ways that we can invest and help them to further themselves. That's the spirit of of the conversation that I'm looking for. That's the right type of person. Tangibly, I'm looking for opportunities that have upside. It may be an entry-level position in a company, but the company itself presents all types of opportunity for professional and personal growth. And there's a culture there that is demonstrating that they invest in people. Said another way, this is not a dead-end job because folks don't need us to apply. And, And I'm not, again, not being critical of that. If that's how you define success and that's where you are and that's what you want to pursue for this time. But for the folks who are coming to us, we're looking for those types of opportunities that have that longer term yeah. view. So what do you find to be realistic expectations for people who have experienced trauma? You know, you talked about confidence. So I would imagine there's a level of building confidence and trust. We talk about that a lot with survivors. So trust is a very, very big issue. And in the workplace, you kind of have to have a lot of trust. You know, so are there other examples that you come across that we can be thinking of when we consider survivors going into the workplace? When you ask about expectation, are you are you speaking in terms of levels of achievement or what they might ex- expect in the way of their experience? Yeah, they're more about experience. Everybody's different and they're 
like you said, remarkable. There are some very remarkable survivors. And in fact, one of the things I want to pick your brain on later is why do trafficking survivors make really great employees? Um, But what do you find are some of the hurdles, the pitfalls that people who've experienced this tend to find when they come into a workplace? Related to trauma, you all would be the experts on all of the the barriers there psychologically, emotionally. I find oftentimes that while individuals are working through their trauma, it's often a lack of exposure and vision. They've not seen what you're describing to them. It's the old teach a man to fish. I mean, you can teach a man to fish, but if he's never been to the lake or seen a fish, I'm not sure that carries very far. So one of the things we want to do is to see survivors enter a workplace, even if it's just an exercise in let's go and see it. Simply to walk into an office with painted drywall and some level of decor and professionally dressed employees, it can take a minute Mm -hmm. for them to just sort of look around. Well, we don't know what we don't know and for anybody. You don't know, if you haven't seen something, you don't know what to And I think if we go back to what, you know, we're, we're speaking about the subject of work and recognizing that work has represented something totally different in, an, in someone's past and earning money. And so there has to be a sensitivity there to say that I can walk into an environment, I might be nervous in a certain boardroom. Or I might be nervous, you know, coming in here to record this because it's a new environment for me, Mm -hmm. right? But I think that's a little bit of the, you can have the market savvy and you can identify opportunities. But if you're not trauma-informed to be willing to walk with someone and ask them to take the next step, Mm -hmm. they don't know what to expect. What it reminds me of is a word I love, and that's accessibility. You are helping open minds and really eyes to see things in a new way on both sides of of this story, both for an employer and for someone who can begin to imagine themselves working in these environments. And I just, I love that you are trying to help bring both, you're like a bridge Mm -hmm. that helps bring these two worlds together for the benefit of both um, in a, in a careful, carefully constructed way. And, um, I really love this. This is exciting to hear. I was trying to picture what that would be like as an employer to hire a survivor. And the visual that popped into my head was a trafficker who would come looking for his victim. He would follow her to the workplace. And I thought, oh, this is going to be, there's no way. There's no way an employer can take that amount of risk. It just won't. Mm. And so that was so quickly debunked. Right. Mm. I was going to say that that just doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> but that tells you, as you're saying, building bridges for employers. You know, one uh, of the things we do yeah. is, is, is support survivors. The other thing we are providing is employer support. They don't. They don't understand, and that's okay, but to begin to speak to them in in business terms about what they can expect. That's so important that it's not just job placement. You're giving them support from both sides. I'm hopeful that the the world is is continuing to move through an understanding of mental health and trauma. It's more easily digestible if we'll call it stress. 
Mm. Okay. You know, and yeah. then and then in <laughs> in extreme cases, trauma, uh, particularly in the business community, they can begin to understand that there's not a stigma associated with this individual. If they understand that nearly half of their workforce is likely dealing with, I mean, the statistics are the majority of Americans have experienced a traumatic event in the workplace. But set aside trafficking trauma, anyone anywhere mm-hmm. <laughs> has trauma. And some people have gone through some very serious trauma. You just said in the workplace, but you think about child abuse, assault, anyone in a business place could have serious trauma and employers may not know about it. In fact, they likely don't because when is that going to become a conversation? COVID did us a favor by waking some folks up as to the mental health of their workforce. And so it's a bit of a half step on the way to these conversations. So what does this look like? What does a partnership with an organization like Encora and Viable, what does that actually look like? Okay. It is maybe best explained this way, a continuum of care shared between two organizations. In the early days, Margie and I would discuss this and I would say, Margie, I'll help you build this out within the organization. And she would say to me, Ben, I see the need. I see the opportunity. I don't need you putting something else on my desk. <laughs> that sounds like Margie, especially back then. Early I stages. need you. This, this would have been 2019 when, when, when she was fresh in. I think Steve coordinated that meeting as well. But she said, I need you to build this. I need a referral relationship. And at that time, it just was not, just wasn't the right time. So the direct service staff would reach out to my team and say, we have someone we believe to be ready to explore employment opportunities. At that time, we schedule an introduction just to get to know Haley Elliott on our staff. We'll meet with them, get to know the survivor, build a little bit of a rapport. Uh, We then want to understand our approach to getting to know them is to understand their gifts. They've done a lot of work on their past and they're they're using some tools in the present, but we want to talk about how they're gifted and how that plays into their future. So we'll look at aptitudes and skills and and do do an assessment there. And then the results of that create a conversation around these are your gifts. These are your assets. These are this has been given to you with purpose. So let's talk about how that aligns with your interests. And it comes with some back and forth. Mm-hmm. You know, they may want to be the next recording artist. And and we certainly don't want to burst that bubble. But in the meantime, mm-hmm. are there some mm-hmm. things we could do more practically to pay the bills? And then we'll begin to introduce various industries in which we've developed some relationships and see if that sparks an interest. And if there is interest, we will work through exposing them appropriate ways to get them into that workplace to expose them to what what is taking place what goes on inside of a business and yes we may be dealing with a healthcare company but as i begin to explore this healthcare company i see that there's direct patient care i see that there's food service i see that there's facilities and maintenance i see that there's administration and finance 
So they, they're learning. Oftentimes, not everyone, but oftentimes they've not seen it. They've not been exposed to it. They don't have a vision for what it's like. And while they're doing that, they're interacting with a pretty influential person within that company. Mm-hmm. And they're experiencing how is he or she speaking to me? How is he or she speaking to others? How are people dressed here? How does this place smell? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Right. It can be a culture shock. Like if we were to go to a different country and, and we were exploring and seeing something, it might feel very similar to that. You've never been in that environment before, but the smells are different. The people talk different. Well, heck, my friend uh, worked at a healthcare, a major healthcare company in town, and she invited me to lunch in their cafeteria one day. And I've spent most of my time in sort of music industry, creative fields, small sorts of things I came to learn because I walked into this place and there's a security desk at the front. And then we have to walk through seven buildings to get through the cafeteria. And there's a culture. You start to see patterns. Yep. And so it's a, how does it feel? Yeah. You know, I don't like the way the place is decorated. It reminds me, I mean, there's Mm -hmm. all these things that can be arranged from preference to trigger. Mm, That's interesting. You know, so we don't know. And so a direct service team member is there for that. At this point, they're still involved. And so we'll look for interest and we'll begin to identify ways with the survivor, with the employer. There may or may not be interest in that particular company. Mm-hmm. If there is, we'll stay pleasantly persistent about opportunities that open up and if they might entertain this individual as a, as a, as a prospective uh, employee. So... It also serves the employer because they are learning, to your point, Stacy. They're having some time to be exposed to a new experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be clear, when we're interacting with employers by way of this podcast, they may know that uh, the folks that we represent can come from this background. But we are also looking at survivors of domestic violence, youth in transition out of foster care. Mm. And ladies that are coming out of different backgrounds of of addiction, maybe even incarceration. So they know that there's been some difficulty in in the rearview mirror Mm -hmm. for folks Mm -hmm. that we're introducing, but that is not a, it's never a part of the conversation. And we make that very clear with the survivors on the front end that this is, Mm -hmm. they need people, you need work. Mm -hmm. Let's see what you think. Because we live in a, I mean, one of the things that we really have changed our name for In Slavery, Tennessee, which kind of focused on a past or mm-hmm. something that was traumatic. And now we are in Cora TN mm-hmm. because we're talking about living in the present and the future. So while the past impacts our ability to to move in different ways, but it is the future that we want to be about and defining ourselves by our possibilities than our past. So you're doing that by helping them walk through into that future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. And the business leaders want to know, you know, they they might say, unless they're up against a hard policy, they might say something along the lines of, I only need to know from your past if there's something that's going to blindside me. Oh, yeah. if, if there's something, if there's something I need to know, you know, and oftentimes you'll see that on a, on a disclosure and an application or so forth. But the types of folks we're looking for, they're really interested in saying, I'm interested in the conversation today and what we can do together moving forward mm. tomorrow. Yeah. So if there's an employer listening to this podcast right now and they are thinking, hey, I'm not sure what this would be like, but I really want my heart feels right about this. What if you do decide, hey, I'd like to strategically kind of get involved in this somehow, what would you have them do? How would they do that? I'd ask them to contact me. 
Okay. So we can have a discussion. So we will definitely have that available. Yeah, it'll be in the our show description for sure. Yeah. They likely have some of the same questions I had. And uh, if I don't have the answer, we'll go find it or maybe find it together. Mm-hmm. But I would say to them, you know, when it comes to needs, I would say if you're in the business community, you have uh, direct influence or know someone who does, I would I would do the old pitch and I would say, are you looking for people who are compassionate, have a desire to help others, are loyal, creative, grateful, bring a unique perspective, task-oriented, and might even have that, uh, what I would call old school, the hustle factor. Mm. Nice. You know, mm-hmm. that's what I see. When you've heard the stories on this podcast or have sat in northern Uganda and heard some of those stories, Sometimes I sit and wonder how it is that someone that's been through that can get up every morning and go about their day. Honestly, that's where the word remarkable in my mind comes from. They have survived. So to me, that that they can move forward and that there can be hope rekindled, that there is joy, you know? So much joy. I know. It's what... I love to help people understand about the the folks we work with. You know, people think of human trafficking and they have this horrible picture in their mind. But in truth, when a person is allowed to walk through that, mm. they become like this, you know, we have a definition of hero. And you've just described what I think would be a great way to reframe what heroic means. Mm. You know, it means to just experience something difficult and learn, grow, and continue to be joyful and hopeful and resilient. And that's what we work with. That's that's really what characterizes this organization more than I think what a lot of people think about. It's so compelling to be in the presence of someone who has, you don't have to know the details. It's really, it's none of my business and it's mm. not important. Yeah. It was awful. Yep. Mm-hmm. Let's just leave it at that. Yep. It's enough. It was hell on earth. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it's just to say, wow. And I oftentimes walk away and I go, what am I doing? <laughs> I know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, it really challenges me. That, and that's, that's a genuine expression to make to folks in this situation is to say, you're really challenging me. Like, I'm here to learn. You know, my, sometimes my friends will teach you. You go on over there to teach those folks to do this and do that. I'm like, No. I'm going over there to learn. You'd see the ingenuity. You'd see the creativity. You'd see the the tenacity. Yeah, tenacity. She's raising six kids on $13 a month, two kids she wanted, two kids that she didn't want that she ended up with, if I could just say it that way, two that she's brought in from the community that were orphaned, and she's raising them on $13 a month. What am I going to teach her about budgeting? Getting blood out of a... Give me a break. Yeah, it's miraculous, really. She wants opportunity is what she wants. (laughs) Yeah. She knows how to work. She knows how to watch her pennies or shillings. So do you have any stories through the years that are particularly special for you to tell? Any success stories that really... We're talking about heart. That really speak to the heart of both sides of the coin that you serve, employer and employee? So most recently in Ancora, a survivor alumni 
trafficked for 20 years, familial trafficking. Um, when I first met her, she had been through our gifts and aptitudes and skills uh, process and had been invited to our office, which was a big step I understood for her to make. And our, our team did a great job of just the sensitivity. I was not in the room to begin the meeting. And at the appropriate time, the survivor was asked, would you mind if Ben and another of our colleagues joined us? Another man. She said she appreciated the question and said that that'd be fine. So she's there, direct service team members there, and we walk in. And 20 minutes was about all that she could take. At the 20-minute mark, I saw her begin to look at the team member and core team member as if to say, time to go. Today, she has a full-time job with a very reputable, long-standing company in this town. At a 30-day review, these were the comments made about her from the employer. She's doing very well in her position. We've been impressed by her and how quickly she's caught on. She has exceeded our expectations. A couple of weeks ago, several people were out with COVID and she really stepped up. People came from other departments to let us know how well she did and that she stepped into the situation. We have no issues whatsoever with her professionalism. <laughs> Hello. Is this thing on? Yeah. Sorry, I mean, we're crying over I mean, here. No, no problem. I, I mean, we're just blubbering. That's why we do this. That's yeah. why we're here. Yeah. For stories like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't mm -hmm. believe I'm crying, but I guess I can't. It's yeah. beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. And just last week, uh, we learned that she is, uh, someone else has been hired into the department and she's training them mm. in her position so that she can progress on to another project. That's what we want. That's all anybody wants. Mm -hmm. Right. On both sides of the story. In our minds, this is all about Ancora and this is all about this employer. This is all about this survivor. And we were just honored and privileged to be a part of it. I would say to survivors listening to this podcast, I would say you pursue your next step and you move through a process and you do it with a community around you. And you've got Ancora and you can have Viable and you can have your other friends, other survivors, whatever that community is. You know, because in Bible, we say they want opportunity and community. And for us, we would say faith. So where am I finding those things? And I would say take the next step, ask for help, build on trust and confidence that you've, that you've garnered to date. Use your training, your tools, and remember your value and have people to remind you of that. With permission, I'll share this quote. I knew I had safety nets with Ancora and Viable, but now I'm also my own safety net, and that's pretty cool. All right. <laughs> that's so good. I mean, I have a real job in an office with a real business. I never thought that would happen. I'm so excited to have stability in a full-time job. There are business people every day who are – they're dealing with employees that have an unstable home life. Yeah. It's not of new course. to them. It's not some of these issues are they don't have the extensive training and 
and complex trauma and all of this, but they're dealing with it. So they're already at the table. And that's one of the things that at Viable, we, we just want to go and let's invite them into the conversation mm-hmm. yeah, so they can learn and then the resources they can bring to bear. And we're not, it's not just checkbooks. It's, and that's what you were saying that day at the Rotary presentation. It's like you have jobs, but I've had HR folks to tell me, Ben, even if they're not applying for one of our positions, I gladly volunteer my time to, to work on interview skills or, or whatever it is. It's just a massive, a massive resource. But it, that's, that's why our, our whole goal is to honor Encora's efforts. It's not to be critical of it. It's to say, let us bring this added vision. Let us bring some bandwidth, some time and effort, and some skill sets to go call on these folks and open some doors. We'd like to thank Junior League of Nashville for being a community awareness partner with someone like me. Our producers are Stacey Elliott, Caitlin Reed, and myself, Leslie Eiler-Thompson. In addition to being a producer, Clara Bidegary-Curtis is our engineer, and she is assisted by Selena De La Cruz. Special thanks to our intern, Riley Herman. The original music you hear is by Zach and Maggie White.